0: We are in a sermon series on the first book of the Bible. That book is called Genesis. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 40. You're welcome to use one of the Bibles in the Purax in front of you. Uh, The passage is also printed for you in the worship guide, so you can also just follow along there if you want to. Genesis chapter 40, we're going to be covering the whole chapter this morning. In recent weeks, we've been trekking with this guy Joseph. When we first met Joseph, we learned that he was a braggart. He was a tattletale. He was the kind of brother or guy that you would label as incredibly annoying. Annoying is probably an understatement because it was so bad that his brothers despised him, hated him, to the point that they devised the plan to kill him. They backed. They backtracked from that plan and decided, instead of rather his blood being on their hands, to just simply uh, throw him into a pit and then throw him, and then sell him into slavery, which they did. Last week, uh, we picked up with the storyline of how things are going for Joseph now that he's in Egypt. Uh, he's a slave in Egypt, and we found out that he uh, was basically given power over the estate or household of the captain of the guard, uh, whose name was Potiphar. So God was blessing Joseph. God was with Joseph, uh, the chapter said more than once. And so we think that, wow, Joseph's life is going to just thrive and flourish from this point on, but then something happened. Joseph was unjustly accused. Potiphar's wife uh, accused Joseph of trying to come on to her when it was actually the opposite And the household, the men of the household, including Potiphar, believed her story. So Potiphar had Joseph thrown into prison. And that's where we left off with our chapter last week. So now we're picking up in the storyline with the question of how are things going for Joseph now in prison? It just seems like it keeps getting worse and worse for Joseph, even though the scripture keeps telling us that God is with Joseph. So let me read Genesis chapter 40 for us. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. Wow, it just got dark, didn't it? And the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Let's ask God to be with us as we look into his word. Father, come to us through your word. Your word is powerful. Your word is alive. We pray that you would apply your word to us, regardless of where we find ourselves this morning, whether we're believing, disbelieving, or unsure of what your word says. We trust that you are able to pursue us and find us wherever we are this morning. And so we do pray that you would open this story to us. Help us to see ourselves in it. Help us to know its relevance to our lives. Only you are able to do this. So we look to you, Holy Spirit. We pray that you would apply your word, that you would even use your word to transform us in ways that we might not even be aware of in this moment. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. February marks Black History Month, and this is a month to honor and remember the achievements of African Americans throughout the history of our country. And as we do that, we can't help but to also remember the grave injustices that have been committed against African Americans in our country. We can't help but to remember the institution of slavery, which is a horrible stain on our country. And as I think often about this, I, I, I try to think of what it must have been like for individual slaves, particularly slaves who were followers of Jesus, which constituted many of them. And as I think about them, I can't even begin to comprehend to put my, myself in their shoes and try to imagine their perspective. But I wonder how often they ask this question, God, have you forgotten me? Have you forgotten us, right? It's a question that I know I would have been asking. And some of the stories that we read of their incredible faith, I I, I doubt whether I would have had that level of faith. Um, One religion professor writes this. He says, slaves believe that God has acted and was acting and would continue to act within human history and within their own particular history. And the background for this is how they maintained their faith, and their faith is what held them together. But I, I, I ask this question how in the world, in the face of the injustices that they were facing, how could they believe that God had acted, that He was acting, and that He would continue to act within human history, within their own particular history? Because again, I would have been asking, God, have you. Forgotten us. So this is the question that I want for to be in the background for us this morning. I want it to be the question that lingers for us when we're faced with the broken realities of life, and they're pressing in on us, and we are asking the question, God, have you forgotten us? How possibly, potentially, could we also believe simultaneously that God has acted, that He is acting, and that He will continue to act in our particular? history. The first point this morning is the word forgotten with a question mark. Has Joseph been forgotten? Have you been forgotten? So our, our narrative is an interesting one, right? It, it's it's very odd and bizarre. Um, it, it, the, the dreams going on, the interpretations, particularly that one interpretation, right? That's really, really dark. Um, I'm currently reading through the Harry Potter series. I know I'm late, very late to the game. Um, And I just reached a point where um, it got really dark all of a sudden, really fast. And it was like, whoa, just what, what just happened? And it's kind of like that in reading this narrative. You're okay. You know you're following along. The first interpretation, great. You, you, you think, okay, yeah, the baker he's going to be told the same thing. Uh, if he's going to be reinstated as well, and then it's you no, know, you're actually going to be hanged, and birds are going to eat your flesh. Yikes! So what is going on here? So the this cupbearer and the baker they've committed some kind of offense uh, against Pharaoh. We don't know exactly what it was, but. It was a big deal, whatever it was. And so they're thrown into prison by Pharaoh. And we keep getting this repetition, this phrase, king of Egypt. Did you notice that? Um, There's a lot of repetition going on early on in this narrative. And the reason for that is it's highlighting the serious nature of the offense. And the one against whom the offense has been committed. You see, these two individuals, the cupbearer and the the, the baker, had unique access to the king. They were trusted, basically, with keeping uh, the king from being poisoned. That was like their fundamental job. I mean, they brought him a drink, they brought him food, uh, but particularly they were entrusted with making sure that he was not poisoned. And we don't again, we don't know what the offense is that they commit, but whatever it is, they're thrown into prison by the king. And they have these dreams. Um, each of them has a dream. And they wake up in the morning, and Joseph, it's clear to them that something is off with them. He asks them, why are you downcast? The text says that he saw that they were troubled. And they have no one to interpret these dreams. Now, dreams, um, particularly like the context here, was very common in the ancient Near East. Dreams were viewed as a medium of divine revelation. Now, so imagine these two guys. They have these dreams, but they have no access to magicians or wise men to interpret these dreams, so they're feeling stuck as they wake up in that morning. It's not even necessarily that they're troubled about the dreams because they don't know what it means. They're troubled by the fact that they can't figure out what they mean. And so, they tell Joseph this when he asks them, why are you troubled? Why are you downcast? And they tell him about these dreams, and he, what does he say to them? Don't dreams belong to God, essentially. Tell them to me. Bold move on Joseph's part, right? We wonder, does he know something we don't? Uh, I mean, has he practiced this before? Uh, is he just going out on a limb? But he says, tell them to me. And so, beginning with the cupbearer, the cupbearer tells Joseph his dream. And Joseph interprets this dream, right? And he tells them, all right, here's what it means. In three days, you're going to be reinstated. You're going to enjoy and occupy the position that you once had. Now, imagine if you're the baker. You're overhearing this. You're probably thinking, yes, yes, This is good news. All right, Joseph, tell me. Tell me the good news. I know what's coming. And yet the interpretation is very different. You're going to be hanged. You're going to be killed. Now, imagine Joseph having the confidence and the boldness to speak the the truth in this situation. You know, not knowing what would happen, how the the baker might respond, but he speaks truthfully into each situation, even though the truth that he speaks is very different. And so, three days later, what happens? Well, starting with the cupbearer, exactly what Joseph said happens. The cupbearer is reinstated to his position uh, before the king, and... What happens next? Joseph has this conversation with him, doesn't he? He says, all right, it's basically along these lines. All right, I did this for you, man. I interpreted your dream and it happened. So could you just do this one thing for me? Could you remember me? Just simply remember me. Tell the king about me because I'm here unjustly. In other words, help get me out of here since I helped you out. And then, of course, what Joseph had interpreted about the baker's dream also comes to be. He is hanged, he's killed. I want to focus in on this conversation that Joseph has with the cupbearer. Remember me. It's his one request. Very simple, right? Not that hard. Uh, You know, think of the the situation of the cupbearer getting out of prison. And avoiding the fate of the baker. You would think that he would be, it would be impossible for him to forget Joseph. That when he is reinstated to his position, that might be the first thing that comes out of his mouth. King, don't forget about this guy. Listen to what he did. He interpreted my dream. He must be powerful. And yet it says in verse 23, Yet the cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Those are painful words, aren't they? But forgot him. Joseph needed someone to remember him when it mattered most. Yet he was forgotten by that person. Have you had that experience? Are you in that experience? Where you desperately need to be remembered, and yet you feel forgotten. Has God forgotten Joseph? Has God forgotten you? Not an easy question to answer, is it? Especially if you are in a set of circumstances where you're really struggling with this question, where you feel like you have been forgotten. Because when you are forgotten by someone, particularly when it's someone that matters to you, you you can't help but to project that on God. That's just what happens, right? Because In our faith, we believe that God is in control. So if we're forgotten by a person, it's as though we are forgotten by God as well. Has God forgotten you in your current set of circumstances? Has God forgotten Joseph? It sure seems like it, doesn't it, on the one hand? When it mattered most to Joseph, when he potentially had his chance to get out of this awful situation that he should have never been in the first place because he did nothing wrong on his part. The cupbearer or God maybe didn't come through for him. So the first point as i said is forgotten question mark. The second point is remembered with an exclamation point. It's not like God to forget right? It's not like God to forget. It's especially not like God to forget his people. Let me just share three simple lines from you that we've actually encountered already in the book of Genesis. One having to do with Noah, one having to do with Abraham, and one having to do with Rachel. Genesis 8, chapter 1. Genesis 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah. 19.29, God remembered Abraham. 30.22, God remembered Rachel. God is actually in the business of remembering his people. God does not forget his people. And Joseph, deep down inside, he knows that. He knows that. Now, I'm not saying that it made faith easy for him. Consider the circumstances that he finds himself in. But there's a larger story at work here. It's a story that we're going to come back to in a moment. But God hasn't forgotten Joseph. He remembers him. How are you feeling forgotten this morning? Do you feel forgotten because you long to be in a relationship and that person has not shown up yet? Do you feel forgotten because you are unemployed or you don't have the job that you would like to have? Do you feel forgotten because you're struggling with depression and you feel like, at least right now in this current scene, that God is nowhere to be found in the fog of this depression? Do you feel forgotten just simply because you're dry, you're spiritually dry and God seems far off and distant from you? I want you to hear this, not... um, not on the account of my confidence, but on the account of Scripture, God has not forgotten you. God does not forget his people. God remembers you. Remember, God remembered Abraham. God God remembered Noah. God remembered Abraham. God remembered Rachel, and he remembers you by name. When Joseph was first put into prison in the previous chapter, in chapter 39, it said this, but the Lord was with Joseph. What? We're being told that he's being thrown into prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him his steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Multiple times in chapter 39 do we hear that God is with Joseph. It's funny how God works. It's funny how this faith stuff works. When we feel forgotten, when we feel abandoned, God is actually with us, even though we can't feel it tangibly, even though we might not be able to experience it in the moment. Others might forget you, but God remembers you. You might be scarred as you're here this morning because you have been forgotten by someone. You might be wounded because you were forgotten in some way, shape, or form even this past week, waiting for someone to come, to show up, to reach out, and it just never happened for you. When it looked like Joseph had been forgotten, God was still with him working out his good purposes. Let's come back to the story that I mentioned. There's a larger story at work here. There's a larger story at play. You see, the story of the Bible is a story essentially of God remembering his covenant, of God remembering his people. When we use this word covenant, what we're referring to is this historical relationship that God has with his people. Because what God did with the nation of Israel is he bound himself to that people, he entered into a special relationship with them. And he made it clear that he would enter into relationship that anyone that would connect with them through faith in him would be among those people that he remembers as well. And that's why we hear this language throughout the book of Genesis. God remembers. God remembers. God remembers. And in other places of Scripture specifically, God remembered his covenant. God will not forget his covenant with his people. It doesn't matter how dark it may seem, It doesn't matter how broken it may seem. Your God is a God who refuses to forget the covenant that he made with you. So what do we do? I mean, there's a tension here, right? So do we just kind of, if you're in a set of circumstances where you're feeling forgotten and it's real, do you just wait it out? just kind of struggle with your faith in God for the time being, what do you do? You need to remember. Wait, I thought we were talking about God remembering. We are. You need to remember that you are remembered by God. In the face of our forgottenness, in the face of feeling like we've been forgotten, we need to remember that God remembers us. How do we do this? We do this by training our memories. Specifically, by indwelling the story of the covenant, by rehearsing it regularly. We talk about this a lot, um, but that is um, really the fundamental way that we see our Sunday worship gathering at City Church. Sunday worship is a way for us to rehearse the story, for us to train our memories, because here's the deal Um, in about 30 minutes, maybe 35, depending on how long I go, you're going to walk out, and within minutes, you're going to forget. Not forget because I said anything necessarily that was great or profound, but it's just the way our hearts are. We're going to, we're going to encounter something, probably a few minutes after walking out of the building, that's going to cause us to, to doubt God's goodness. That's going to cause us to distrust him. If it's not five minutes out of the building, it's going to be later tonight, I hope it doesn't have to do with a football game for me. Or it's going to be tomorrow morning, the week to come. You're going to face these realities, right? And they're going, to, they're going to press in on you, and you're going to be faced with, God doesn't seem like he's present. God doesn't seem like he's good. And so we need to keep training our memories. Oh, wait, of course he is. How do I know? Because there's a story, there's a story that records God's faithfulness. We need to go back and remember it. Oh, yeah, Noah, he, he felt like God was, had forgotten him, but God remembered him, and then Abraham, and, and Rachel, and now Joseph. This is, the, this is the God that we follow and worship. This is his character. He doesn't forget his people. We need to rehearse the story. Mark Galley is editor-in-chief of Christianity Today, and... He wrote this, um, going back to um, uh, African-Americans um, who were slaves in our country. Um, he, he talked about how they practiced their faith, how they found opportunities to study the Bible together and to worship together, even in the threat of punishment. He says, it was a remarkable event, not merely because of the risk incurred. 200 lashes of the whip often awaited those caught at such a meeting, but because of the hurdles overcome merely for them to arrive at this point. And he goes on to talk about, to describe these meetings. After arriving and greeting one another, men and women sat in groups together. Then there was preaching by the brethren, then praying and singing all around until they generally feel quite happy. The slave forgets all his sufferings, Randolph summed up, except to, he's quoting someone else here except to remind others of the trials during the past week, exclaiming, thank God I shall not live here always. How did these slaves deal with their horrible circumstances? How did they deal with the injustice that they were experiencing? By training their memories. By rehearsing the story. By reminding one another of what is actually most true. of God's goodness His faithfulness. Things are not going Joseph's way, and it's you know, it's kind of like when you're watching a movie or TV show, you're reading a book, and you have this character, and it just seems like tragedy keeps following them, and you feel for Joseph. Like particularly if you weren't familiar with this story, you heard me read it. Maybe you're thinking when he tells the cupbearer to remember him, you're thinking oh, I see where this is going. This is how Joseph's going to get out of prison. He doesn't deserve to be there anyway. And then you get to the end and you're like, poor guy, what's going on here? We talked about this last week, but it's good to come back to it. Um, Particularly in the American church, we have such awful theology. And we have this theology that goes like this. If we have strong faith, if we're doing for the most part, stuff that pleases God and honors him, then things will go relatively well for us. Here's the problem with that theology. The problem with that theology is that you come to the Bible and read the theology of the Bible, and it is nothing like that because you encounter people like Joseph. Basically, you encounter everybody in the Bible, including Jesus. And so the theology of the Bible is complicated. But I want to encourage you with this because the theology of the Bible is real. It, it lines up with our experience in this world. You see, we, we live with these tensions. I, I, I know what it's like for you. I live it too. You know, every day, faith in God, faith in his promises, faith in his covenant. Oh, wait, this happened to me? Wait, God, do, do you love me? Do you, what's, and you know, we're back and forth, back and forth. We're caught in between in the tension. And guess what? When we come to the Bible, that's what the Bible unpacks for us. Those very realities. The Bible is real. As we say here at City Church, the Bible is the true story of life. And I want to come back to Jesus for a moment. Even Jesus was not safe from suffering in this world. Even Jesus To even take it further, was not safe from the question of, have I been forgotten? Maybe you remember some of the words that he spoke on the cross. Matthew 27, 46. These are words from Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the question. The question that you so often ask was the very question that came off the lips of God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ. Have I been forgotten? Because it sure seems like it. What does this mean for us? You know, when we get to this point in Genesis, it's kind of humorous to me. I feel like, all right, everything leading up to the conclusion is new stuff, and I get to the conclusion, it's like, well, it's the same thing as last week, and the week before that, and the week before that. Um, but maybe we should be encouraged by that, because the whole Bible tells the story of the gospel. Every story uh, speaks the, the bigger story of who Jesus is and sheds light on his person and work. But I, I, I want to talk about two things. One Has to do with the God that we have access to and come to. Just let this sink in for a moment. The very God that you cry out to and ask the question of, Have you forgotten me? is the same God who has asked that same question. In other words, the God that we come to is a God who gets it. This is remarkable. This is unique to the Christian faith. The God of the Bible, the God of the Christian faith is a God who gets it. A God who understands. A God who sees. And not just from a distance because he's sovereign and and omniscient and all-seeing. It's because he's actually experienced it. He's actually spoken those words himself in the face of injustice. In the face of pain and suffering. And so I want to encourage you this morning, as you pray those words, as you cry out those words, have I been forgotten? Remember that God knows what it's like. So we can't come to him and say, or or we can't use this excuse, I'm not even going to go to him because, you know, he's out there somewhere, he's far off, he's distant. He's not, he came near and was willing to become obedient, as Paul says in Philippians 2, even to the point of death on a cross that led him to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is part of the training our memory. It's part of rehearsing the story by remembering the character of God, remembering who he is and the kind of God that we have access to, but then to also remember the reason, the purpose behind Jesus speaking these words, why, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he go through with it? Why was he willing to become obedient to the point of death on a cross? It was ultimately to secure our rescue, to secure our salvation. To bring us, through faith in what he's done for us, into relationship with God. To give us intimacy and access. Basically, to give us the ability and the permission to cry out to God, Have you forgotten me? Do you hear that, brothers and sisters? We can cry out to God asking him, Why have you forgotten me? because of what he has done ultimately to secure our rescue in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We are his. We are his children. I know that if my daughters, if they feel like I'm abandoning them, they have every right to cry out, why have you forgotten me? It's the same way with our God in heaven. We have access to him. We have intimacy with him because of what Jesus has done for us. We thought that it was just a battery issue, but it's becoming clear we need a new microphone. We have access to our Father in heaven through what Jesus did. And we remember his sufferings in the midst of our sufferings. In the midst of our feeling like we've been forgotten, we remember. And so that we come back here at the end to that, that dilemma, right? How do we move forward? We move forward by remembering that we are remembered by God. And we look back through the record of Scripture, the record of redemption history. We see how God has come through for his people time and time again. But we see it most explicitly in and clearly in the person and work of Christ. And so we remember. We remember what he did for us. We remember, we remember that we are remembered. And this rescue that Jesus has provided, it gives us access to our Father in heaven so that we can cry out to Him. But even more, it gives us the confidence to know, as those slaves themselves said, Thank God I shall not live here always. Thank God I shall not live here always. Because of God's faithfulness in Jesus, we can say that as well. Thank God I shall not live here always. We look ahead to a new heavens and a new earth when there will be no crying and pain and suffering. Where we will never ever feel like we are forgotten. Because that picture at the end of Revelation gives us a picture of God descending, bringing heaven with him to renew the creation, to restore it to what it was meant to be. And what does God say to his people? I am their God, and they are my people. Brothers and sisters, nothing, nothing will interfere with the fact that God is your God, and you are his people. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, your story. We so desperately need it. We need to be reminded of who you are and what you've done for us. I pray that you would train our memories, that you would captivate our imaginations with what is true, what you have told us and what we have seen from you throughout history. And we thank you for the confidence and assurance that we have. That this current, these current set of circumstances that we may find ourselves in or the circumstances that await us later in this week, they will not always be. But one day, you will make all things new, and you will be our God, and we will be your people, and we will feel it and experience it tangibly. We look forward to that day, but until then, we pray for faith. We pray for the faith to be able to remember that we are remembered by you. In Christ's name, amen.